0: Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co founder and global editor in chief of Refinery 29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Most of us were first introduced to Bethany Frankel as, quote, a housewife. She was famously cast as the sole single woman on the debut season of The Real Housewives of New York. But for her, Housewives was just another step in a much bigger plan. Bethany was a born businesswoman with an uncanny knack for spotting opportunity everywhere. She got her first show business gig at 21 when she was seated next to a Hollywood producer on a standby flight. She struck up a conversation and soon landed herself a production job on Saved by the Bell. Bethany always knew how to get a deal done because she had to. She'd grown up in a fractured family, where money was always an issue, be it her parents' child support battles or her stepfather's gambling debts. So Bethany entered the workforce determined to build her own financial security and success. After completing chef's training, she launched one of her earliest businesses, Bethany Bakes. Four years later, she and her company competed on The Apprentice. She didn't win. But she learned how powerful platform reality television could be. She took her brand and moved onward and upward, way upward. In 2008, Bethany was the breakout star of The Real Housewives of New York. Within a year, Bethany had published a book, her first of eight, and soon debuted Skinny Girl Cocktails, which we watched come to life through her own instincts and experiments, right on the show. Under her leadership, Skinny Girl exploded into a $100 million operation, producing everything from snacks and beverages to lingerie, and most recently, a line of jeans in extended sizes. With Skinny Girl, Bethany built the business model virtually every reality star would follow. 10 years after her Housewives debut as the show's unlikely outlier, she's the star of her own life, perhaps the biggest star of the Bravo franchise, and busier than ever. Today, her focus has widened. In recent years, Bethany has thrown herself into disaster relief. She made headlines in 2017 when she chartered seven jets to deliver supplies and provide medical transport in hurricane ravaged Puerto Rico. She launched the nonprofit Be Strong to mobilize aid relief in the US and abroad. She's done all this while grappling with personal hardship of her own. This summer, Bethany lost her longtime boyfriend and friend to an overdose. It was a traumatic and very public loss, but Bethany didn't retreat. Weeks later, She was raising funds and donations for victims of Hurricane Florence. Even in her darkest moments, there's no question, Bethany is a doer. In a recent interview, Bethany remarked, people have helped me get through my despair with their love and inspiration, she says. And now it's my turn. Hi everybody,
1: thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hi.
0: There's a story that I would love oh god, to. Oh my god, she's
1: pregnant. She's walked up like those whole stairs. Take a breath. I'm take pregnant, but I also have to admit I'm nervous. Aw. No,
0: I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you. So we talked about this before, but tell me about this flight. I am actually really winded from walking up. Hold on, take it easy. Here, take,
1: take
0: a <sighs> I know. Walk. I'm actually like thinking the first time I'm interviewing Bethany is when I'm seven months pregnant. Namaste. Namaste, yes, thank you. You wanna tell the story while you
1: take drink? Just drinks? tell it, yes, yes, thank so you. Me.
0: So I sorry. She's <laughs> gonna do the interview and I'm just gonna like sit here and drink water. Just be pregnant.
1: Yes, you're exactly. I know. She was going to ask me about a story. I was at LAX and I had graduated NYU, but not walked with the class. I was in such a rush to sort of get on with my life and was going to uh, stay at my father's house who lived in California. We didn't, we'd never really had a relationship, but I was excited to go stay with him. I'd seen all those John Hughes, Pretty in Pink type movies. And I thought like, I'm moving to LA and living in his house and I'm going to be dating Andrew McCarthy. And you guys are all too young to know who that is, but he was a big deal then. Um, and I was, I, I, I was late, which I'm never late for anything. And I, I've never almost missed the flight but they said that that the flight was closed and I just sort of sat there calling my father who probably already thought I was sort of a failure anyway and an idiot and I said I don't think I'm coming and then the, they came out and said we have one seat left but it's in first class I was like oh my god and so I sat in first mm-hmm. class and there was this man next to me um, and he turned out to be uh, the Senior Vice President of NBC Productions. And he, uh, we ended up talking the entire flight and he had all these scripts and he said, I never speak to anyone. I do this flight all the time. I never speak to anybody on these planes. I don't know why I'm speaking to you. And I, I don't know if I was selling him or what I was telling him, but I ended up turning that ride into being a production assistant on the Saved by the Bell Beach episodes. <laughs> I mean, just saying Saved by the Bell is iconic, but saying the beach episodes tends to ring a bell for those like, people in that cult. It's a thing. Yes. Yes.
0: But I think the reason why I wanted to talk about that first was because I think it takes a certain kind of character to be in a situation and to have instinct to know that there's an opportunity there and to actually go for it. And I think that that's something that we can really trace throughout a lot of your successes. And I wanted to ask you, like, where does that instinct come from? Well, it's a fearlessness. And I think it's a courage that I think that we all feel like we know you because, you know, we have watched your life, you know, on television for the last, I don't know, like eight years. And more over 10 more. And I think that there's probably still obviously there's so much that we don't know about you. But I think that that's a special kind of courage that um, it's about survival. It's about success. And I think it probably tracks, you know, from the early stages of your life, but where do you think that comes from?
1: Well, I mean, I think, and I speak to other parents who are so worried about every, you know, every class their kid's doing, every, you know, if they're spending enough time with them, and, Not to say that my childhood was no model to to aspire to. It was very, very abusive and dysfunctional and every kind of bad recipe. But I was always the new kid in school. I went to 13 schools. I was often alone. Not always, but often alone. And so I just was always able to, to put myself into any situation and be anywhere and kind of just talk. And it happens even now at this level of success and knowing people. You know, I was in LA somewhere Saturday night. It was this par- uh, this party that was literally like the most, and I've been to a lot of major parties with major people. This was icons, like leaders of industry. Like if something happened at this party, the stock market would go to zero. And I'm not exaggerating at all. Maybe not to zero, but like it would be a disaster. And I went alone, and I could have brought a guest. And I did, cho- and I do this a lot, and I choose not to bring a guest because I want to exercise the muscle and walk around and talk to people, and people that would be very intimidated to me, and people that what I've done would, you know, well, I actually was surprised that, that some of these people had thought, oh, it's amazing what you did. I mean, when these are like billionaires, self-made, but I think that that's, it's, it's a good skill to have, to be able to just walk through a party by yourself and talk to different people and lean into one other conversation and sometimes feel like a little bit uncomfortable for a second because, you know, you want to say hi to your friend, but they're talking to someone so famous and you don't want, like, the person that you know to think you're now tapping on that person because they're talking to that person. You don't care about that person. But so you're like, oh, no, I don't mean to. I know that. I just I'm over here when you get done with that famous major billionaire person. So it's like a, it's like a thing, you know? So I've always yes. had that. I've always been the new kid, and I've always had the ability to just sort of jump into two things. And I think that that's something that everybody could, could take away.
0: And you never really had any anxiety, even when you were growing up, you know, being in those new situations? so you just really had to train yourself to kind of adapt and, and be kind of aware? I mean, sure.
1: I mean, when I was in sixth grade, I remember being, you know, made fun of, and I remember certain things and not, you know... Uh, I remember certain things like, you know, kids can be mean and things like that, but I mean, I have anxiety now, but it's not about anything that matters. I sweat the small stuff. I have date, when I've had dating profiles, I write, I only sweat the small stuff. Because literally a plane could come into my apartment through the ceiling and I would like not even worry. But if just like, if there were not enough sprinkles on my ice cream cone, I would possibly be very upset. You know, I just really only sweat the small stuff.
0: Do you think it's about control? You think it's about sort of just like feeling like if there's enough sprinkles on your on your ice cream cone, like everything's going to be okay?
1: No, it's because the small things, and um, and it's learning experiences for people that I work with, et cetera, because, you know, this happened last night. It's, it's small things. It's like... The small things trip up all the big things like the little things are the things that get you you know you're pregnant you know the little things you're worried about like i don't know if you're you're married but if you worried about everything if you didn't get the thing that you're craving like you'd be distracted about this interview today you know what i mean because like that's what you're in that moment and that little stupid thing which isn't that stupid to you might make this so it's really this all the little the devil's in the details that's what i'm a detail person you know what I mean? I don't like to do something if I don't do it well. So if it's a little, you know, I'm the person, if I text you and I bl- I'm the person that texts how I talk, so I like a sentence, sentence, sentence. Like, it's not that one big blue blurb. I'm not the big blue blurb person. I'm the blue blur, blue blur, blue blur. But it's the same amount, but you're just, if you're getting dings, you're just getting a lot of dings. But if I <laughs> spell something wrong that you know I didn't spell wrong, I have to go back in and just do it after. I can't. I could be married to you for 15 years, and I could just be like crossbow, and it would be like two words, and I'd be like crossbow. Like, don't think that I did not know that that was crossbow.
0: I have to say, I'm only like 10 minutes, and I'm already having so much fun. It's <laughs> just like so much fun to interview. So I wanted to talk about this word that gets kind of a bad rap these days, disruptor. It feels a little cliche at this point, but it's hard not to think about you know, looking at your trajectory and, and your you know successes. And thinking about like you at the early days, and especially, you know, we talked about this a little bit backstage, about a scene, and I'm sure if all of you are, are as big a fans of Bethany's as I am, there is this scene that kind of resurfaced in the last season of The Real Housewives. And you were on the Brooklyn Bridge with Ramona, and she kind of shamed you. Well, she didn't kind of, she really shamed you for not having A family, being alone. There was a lot of things that she said, and it was really, it was funny because it's not funny in the traditional sense, but when I watched it, it really pained me because I realized, like, that's an attitude toward women that don't have sort of this ideal kind of life or family, and so many of us are kind of pursuing family life or or relationships that we really feel are right for us, but get a lot of judgment for it. And in the very beginning, you were the, one of the first people to join that franchise that didn't have children, that wasn't married. Did, were you even aware at that time like, how different that was and, and what you might have needed to represent for other women that didn't necessarily have those things?
1: I didn't know that I would end up being a female role model. But I guess I was doing things that would make that happen, just authentically. So I, I didn't want to do the show initially. I originally wanted to be on the Food Network. I just wanted to cook, and the, and the president said, you're not going to end up on TV, so stop having all these production companies contact me. And he's That's not so there surprising. anymore. But, but. I basically went on that show, and I, I I understood. I have the ability to be in the micro, but see the macro, and so I I understood what they were doing. Like they had everybody these all these women who were not similar, but rich and married, and by you know getting facials and buying diamonds. And I thought, oh, they want their question mark character, you know, the one who doesn't know yet, which was completely true. And it was scary. I was talking to someone about this yesterday, being in your you know mid to late thirties and having no idea really what's gonna, where it's going to land. I don't have people anybody supporting. I don't have a trust fund. I don't have, you know, I have a rent that's twenty six hundred dollars and eight thousand dollars to my name and and so and I and I did the show and it's not that's that's not bad. (laughs) It's not that bad. No, but before that, that was because I had already become a natural food chef and was cooking for delivering people's meals. But I used to be the one who couldn't afford the taxi and would like put the ATM in and have insufficient funds and I would be like, well then but they would give you the money anyway. They give you the, I was like, that was nice. They give you the (laughs) money and then they would say you don't have the money, but then you'd get all these fees. But anyway, I really was, I had no money. And I went on the show and I remember the guy I was dating saying, you know, well just be only be the natural food chef and only be cooking and don't be talking about anything else and don't be doing anything else. And I the show was called Manhattan Moms. It wasn't what we all know now to be the housewives. So I didn't I had no idea what it even was. But I knew that I should be honest about my life and connect to this audience. If they're going to tune in, if this ever even becomes a good show, I have to be honest about who I am. So I fell in, whether it was a relationship, whether it was someone breaking up with me as my little, you know, apartment that when I renovated it for ten thousand dollars was all IKEA. Like that was my big Moment in my studio apartment. I still love Ikea by the way, but I think that the the success for the business was ultimately buying into me It was that I was being honest about who I am and where I was in my life And I think that that's what ended up making my business a success because people trusted the product because they trusted me I don't think just being on TV and shilling products is going to be enough but it's funny what you say about um, about women and about saying, you know, you're going to be alone and you don't have anybody. And I don't, you know, I, I, we all are alone in some way, but I don't have family. I've struggled with relationships and haven't been great at that. And a lot of the women on my show, all the women on my show now are not in the same relationships. And, you know, I've, I've found that a lot of people want everyone to think that their life is better than it actually is. I've found through life and the housewives and particularly social networking, people would rather you think they're having a great life than actually them have a great life. And I'm really the opposite of that. And I, feel, I felt a responsibility to dis- discuss, you know, only because I had gotten married on TV did I feel a responsibility to discuss the demise of it. Because I'm not going to pretend that everything's perfect. And that's why my friends will be like, I cannot believe you posted that picture of yourself on Instagram. Because I think that everybody's trying to pretend that there's somebody they're not. And it's just going to make somebody else feel bad. And about what you're talking about, it makes me think of different people's paths. So if I think about how people react to my skinny girl jeans and the comments I get and I've lost weight but I'm still 14 and I don't feel good about myself and I think about the skinny girl photo shoots and the girls that like legitimately are size 18 and 20 and look amazing in the jeans because of how good they feel in them, and I mean, they have these butts that like I envy and they just feel sexy and happy and you know, I just feel like everybody has their own lane and you can make your own lane work. It's not it's not going to be somebody on Instagram's lane, you know? So whatever Ramona's lane, that, you know, her lane, you know, is no longer on the highway, <laughs> you know? Uh, also, so that's how I feel about that.
0: <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I like how you really wrapped that up. Um, <laughs> but the other thing was, we were talking about this too, is that one of my favorite scenes with you, and I think it's why, you know, I just admire you so much because nobody else would do this on any of the other shows was you doing tastings that no one came to. Does everyone remember that?
1: Oh, the cupcake. Yeah, you could hear a cupcake drop.
0: You could hear a cupcake drop and they're soft. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They know. (laughs) They know know, cupcakes. I know, I know.
0: know. So... I think that to have just the courage in yourself and to know that you're enough to hold that scene, it made it so memorable. There's nobody else that would have, I mean, all the parties and all the events that they throw or have, you know, I don't want to say they stage them, but have, you know, they're always just like all these people there, and it seems everyone's like glammed up. And and they are like you, no real
1: products being sold, just like a party to celebrate no, nothing. No, and, right. and I think
0: you were there at Costco. I think it was at Costco, right? Oh, my
1: God, yes. And...
0: I just think that you were, and you were happy about it. You showed up. And I think that that is.
1: I mean, I wasn't happy about it, but I come from a place of yes. And and this is not a joke. This sounds like I'm like doing like stand up. It's not, I wasn't happy about it. Inside, I was like, oh my God, no one's here. But then you have to just, like, no one's at my birthday party. Like, I literally have a signing at Costco, and there's not one person here. But I did have a baby, and they have dried blueberries and Dijon mustard and hearts of palm and massive containers. And so I thought, let's let's place a yes the fuck out of this thing and go shopping. <laughs> you know, I had no choice. And Connecticut was the, with the muffin drop when I started asking everybody, like, what, you know. Can we are there kids in here or no? I can say curses. And no, stuff. it's, okay. right. it's like, I who already wanna, checked. What do I have to blow to give for you to take a muffin? <laughs> you know? It was it was really it was hardcore. And then the store oh knows God. that you're a loser and the whole thing, but you know, whatever.
0: I mean But look what happened. Yeah. I know.
1: But I appreciate that you, that that thing is not my number one priority is to laugh. I mean, my daughter I love and, you know, the earth and relief efforts and, you know, Gandhi and rainbows. But my number one priority really is to laugh. Like, I live to laugh. So if you can't laugh at yourself, you can't take yourself too seriously.
0: No. But it's, I mean, out of all of the, you know, most, uh, all the I mean, Kanye can run
1: for president. We cannot take ourselves too seriously. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I'm just saying. It's
0: true. The Unstyled Podcast is made possible by Refinery29 and Airy, your body-positive go-to for intimates and loungewear. You know exactly what you'd want to wear while binge listening to your favorite podcast. Never retouched and always real. Gary gives you the everyday pieces that make you feel confident, strong, and always the real you in your own style. Let's talk about Skinny Girl because I think it's such a it's such an incredible success story and the other thing that occurred to me when I was doing research on you is that you know so few publications really talked about the fact that you know yes it was an enormous success you know you developed this brand that's like known you know around the world now and really symbolizes something. And also, you sold it to Beam Global,
1: correct? they now Beam Suntory, but yes. Yes. But I did, but I didn't. I was trying to explain the story to the guys from Casamigos yes. on Saturday, uh, Randy Gerber. I sold it, but I maintained it. I have a back end with them, and I still am in business with them and like a spokesperson with them. But I didn't give them the intellectual property. So they don't own Skinny Girl, which I didn't realize was such a big deal then. It's a very you know, big then deal. It's a very
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Great big deal to be able to sell for such a large number to such a massive company and work it out that I would own all the intellectual property, which is why I can do jeans and salad dressings and sweeteners and, and, you know, anything else that I desire, because it was a trust thing in a deal. And I said, well, I don't understand. You guys do liquor only. They're not Procter & Gamble. They're not Unilever. They're not making shampoo and and mints, you know, with Skinny Girl. So, like, you guys do liquor. So why can't I keep the rest? You're not, what are you going to do with her and everything else? You're not doing liquor jeans, which is not, that's a good idea actually. So, um, I convinced them that well, I wasn't going to do I wasn't going to do the deal otherwise, but I but I convinced them. So let's just be partners on this. Like you're going to allow me to do all that and if that does well, then you do well, and if you do well, that does well and you have to be, have to be able to trust each other. That's an example of me not being good at contracts but being good at concepts. Like I did not know that that never happened before when I started skinny Girl, I didn't know what a licensing deal was or an equity deal. I had to have my very, you know, inexpensive $250 an hour lawyer who is probably like a veterinarian on the weekends (laughs) explain to me the difference between licensing and equity. And I was like, oh, equity means I I own this thing. And that means it's like my skin in the game. And I was like, I want that, that one. So you don't have to be so smart at everything. You don't even have to be so smart at anything. You just have to be creative and kind of like navigate and think, you know, you have to be able to like think and just... Just think about different ways. Because even the best lawyers I know that I have now, and the best you know, agents and partners, and you know, that's why there's a chapter in a place of yes that says, uh, never assume anyone's smarter than you. Because sometimes people are so in their own thing that they know how to do things the same way. And I'm a person that you know, tells everyone to step away, not look at the pieces, and look at the, bo- look at the whole board. That's what I tell my staff all the time. In the we- everyone's in the weeds. Yeah. Happens to people on the housewives too. We get into weeds, but you said that, I said that, you said that, I said that, she said that, she said that. I'm like, step away. None of this fucking matters. I just assumed they
0: edited it that way. I wasn't sure that actually really happened No, you in get real sucked life. down yeah. some
1: drain, and things matter that you don't think that should matter.
0: Well, I think that the, the larger point I wanted to make about that was... What I think is really exciting about what you did with that company is that you really disrupted a a very traditional industry. I mean, the liquor industry is like really just markets to men. Always did
1: until this. Yeah, and I
0: think that especially in the spirit space, I mean, I think that we always think of like, you know, it's the way that cigarettes used to be, but it's the way that, you know, the liquor industry or the spirits industry kind of speaks to women in a very kind of, I wouldn't say derogatory, but a kind of a very predictable,
1: it's a boys club. stereotypical
0: way. And I think you breaking into that industry is something that's just really. It's really inspiring because it's tough. It's really but I did tough. I didn't
1: know, so it's like I want to stand up here and be like, you but know, but you didn't know what was happening on the plane tank. either.
0: And I think right. you didn't know. Right.
1: I'm just saying it wasn't like oh. I know because I know someone on my show was saying to me last year like, I need to find white space. I'm going to sit around and look for white space, and then I'm going to go do something. So like, that's not how I roll. No, I, I just I did not know. I just thought it was a great idea. A lot of people, you know, everyone said no. All the men and all the liquor companies said no. But in my gut, I thought it was a good idea, and I plowed through and found the partner. So I'm not belittling it. Yes, and and it was being. It's just that after did I realize that no one was really speaking to men. I couldn't. I mean, to women, and I couldn't believe that there hadn't been a low calorie, ready to drink cocktail before. And so, you know, but by going head to head with all the men, I did get it done. And in that case, yes.
0: And I think also, I mean, we saw just pieces of this on the show, but it was really surprising to I guess not surprising to me, probably not to you, how many people wanted to take credit for it.
1: Just Luann and my mother. Yeah? But yeah. Still. Who I have not, I have literally haven't had a relationship with in 30, like as if I, when I was seven, I was like watching her make cocktails and I was like, ooh, one of these days I'm gonna be on a reality show, which doesn't exist now, but in <laughs> 40 years, it's gonna be my moment, Mom. Yeah, no, so just just, just Luann and my mother.
0: But did you feel protective about it? Because when that happened, and you've talked really openly about just your anxiety and struggles with money when you were younger. And I think that's also something that so many of us can identify with when you're a hustler. And, like, I consider myself a hustler, and I didn't come from money. And I had to really work hard for everything that I have. And I think there's so many periods of doubt that you go through when you're really trying to make something of your life and you want your life to have meaning. And I think that it's just when you actually see that something is developing into something substantial and important, did you feel protective of it?
1: I mean, I just was, I'm aware that they're, forgetting people co- taking credit, I'm aware of the way that it works and that people are going to copy. I mean, think about how anybody from Dolce Gabbana or Tom Ford or anybody feels, they make something that's their, you know, life's work and they're so focused on the detail and the next day someone's knocked it off. So it's just the nature of the beast. you know. And in business, you have to be out, not just have the best idea. And not, like on Shark Tank, I talk about this all the time. People are so worried about their idea. And don't steal my idea, and I had this idea, and don't tell anybody my idea. You got to execute the idea, and you got to go hard and fast. And had I, had I held on too tight because I didn't want to sell and not sold, I would have probably been swallowed up and gobbled up by the big guns. I mean, you have to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And I, was I protective of it? No, you can't. Like I'm me, and when someone else is looking at what I'm doing, I'm already doing the next thing. You know, I do. I often bring up Michael Phelps. I mean, it's just like he looks at that wall. He's not looking at in this lane or that lane. He's just swimming, and he's getting to that wall. It doesn't mean that I don't look around to see what's happening in my business. But I mean, if I've got to get something done, I'm going to get it done. You know, it's just I'm a machine.
0: Is there something in the works we don't know about? Is there anything like that? You're... There's something
1: very big in the works that you don't know about, but I, I can't talk about it. So that's like a tease, and I apologize. Not even, a teeny um, bit. but it'll be soon. Um, it will be more disruptive than anything I've done before, including cocktails. So, and it will be a risk, and you have to take risks. You know, it will because you get, you know, you rest in your laurels and. You get jaded a little bit you know, to do something like, this is amazing. And I walk in and I think, oh my god, look at all these people. And we're at like, a real theater. And this is ad week. And it's, and it's Refinery29. And I'm still, you know, uh, I walk in and I'm humbled. But that doesn't happen all the time. And so you want to you know, s- see if you get to make this other thing happen. And I don't make big plans. Like everyone's like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the next Oprah? Or you want to take over the world or a mogul? I'm not like that. I could easily like, do nothing. I just, I'm executing the ideas that I have, and I have so many that I'm constantly executing ideas because I just love ideas. And so if I have an idea that I think is really good, I kind of want to see how far I can take it. But if I'm not having fun and I, and I don't enjoy it, then I don't want to do it, you know? I mean, I I, I say saying no, you know, is also saying yes in many ways. So there are things that I'm doing because they're they are disruptive and I think I could really, really make a difference, and I might be wrong. And so then that's a little bit scary, and it could pull everything else that I'm doing down. So that's a little bit scary, but it could be massive. So, you know, you go through that stuff at any level, when you have nothing and when you have everything. You know, you always have to be taking risks, calculated risks, I think.
0: I want to talk about the work that you've been doing in disaster relief. It was really, I thought, such an important part of the last season of The Real Houses of New York, and it, didn't, it, it wasn't exploitative. It just really felt like this was something you were incredibly passionate about, and you figured out how to be of service. I mean, the tremendous work that you've done in raising $60 million dollars—you know, to, to go towards the victims of these communities in real crisis
1: and the sixty million is in also in relief. Really, it's not just sixty million in cash. There are millions of dollars in cash, but it's in planes <clears throat> and in you know everything from in, insulin to diapers to formula. Every single thing a person could possibly need. I mean, it was like six Costco's filled up over and over. It wasn't actually cost at Costco because I'm still mad at them about the time that no one came. Wasn't but it-, it was like buildings the size of Costco.
0: Okay, but how did you? How did you get that off the ground? Because it seems so incredibly daunting. Even the idea of you, like, borrowing a plane from somebody seems, like, seems kind of challenging. Well,
1: truthfully, it's like the rest of it. I did not know, and I didn't have a plan. I... Charted the first plan on my own. Had no idea w- how I was going to fill it. First, I went to Texas because I, have a, I had created Be Strong, which was initially supposed to be partnering with Dress for Success for women in crisis. That's what I said, it, that's what I created as the mission stay, you know, to be women in crisis and life co- coaching and financial advice and therapy. And so that was great. We'd have a certain number of women that would qualify, and throughout the year we would help them and all of that, and it was great. And Dress for Success is an amazing partner I've been with for years, and it, it's wonderful, and they do wonderful things, helping women get jobs and inspire other women. Great. But when I was choosing Dress for Success years ago, I needed something to feel dire, and I can't really explain it. And not that that's not dire, because some of these women are, go from homeless to, to having a job. They've never put, you know, a heel on, a bra on. I mean, it's, it's serious. But I have always had this sort of, you know phase zero desire, but that I didn't even know it existed. And even some charities that say they do relief work, it's not like that, like when you are not supposed to be going. So I did that first with Dress for Success for Houston and went to help, I think it was like a thousand plus people with, um, at that time, I think I raised like 300 and something thousand dollars in a couple of days and flew there and was told not to go there. And, you know, and it was, T- tragic and people woke up waist deep in water, you know, veterans and s- six kids having to go in garbage trucks because the boats were gone and it was absolutely devastating and then I visited Mexico after these terrible um, earthquakes and there were dead bodies under, you know, the rubble and had to go in there and in, um, in helicopters and was there before their own, you know, governor and and so I kind of just like started doing this and these were individual days and it was money but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't I did it, I came back, I felt good, I connected with them, I posted to, to, to raise more money, great. Dress for Success couldn't, was like, whoa, like, so much money was coming through, there were seven clicks, that was not what they are designed to do. And I didn't realize that. I was like, what do you mean? No, just get, we take the money, we're getting the money, we're gonna get, it. and they were like, no, 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 this is, that's amazing, that's not exactly what we do. So I ended up finding another partner, and when Puerto Rico hit, when the Maria hit, September 20th, a year ago, I remember um, Dennis, my ex, who passed away, saying, "You know, he knows a lot of people have businesses there. You can't go there. They've all left. There's no water. There's no run. There's no electricity. Like you're you're gonna get sick. You can't go. It's dangerous." And I said, "Well, isn't that when you have to go? Because it had already been like a couple of days in or like a week in." So I started obsessing over planes, and like I was gonna get a plane. And how come all my rich friends that I'm calling aren't like helping me out? And just I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. I'll fill the plane. I'll buy everything. So I chartered a plane. And then I just started talking to everybody and going on Twitter and connecting to different people, and I didn't know what I was doing. But I, I'm, I used to produce large-scale events like the Emmys and the Grammys, and like I could kind of do anything if I want to do it. I mean, I can't like do brain surgery, but I mean, <laughs> if it's like getting something done, I can get it done. So. I just started one plane, and by the time that one plane was going, my friend said, "Okay, you can have my plane." And then it was this plane. And I found a warehouse to be filling the planes, and I was somehow finding people in Puerto Rico to help me distribute. And children's hospitals calling, email, texting me on Twitter, and me like hiring virtual assistants to like be the people that dealt with like the children's hospitals, and then someone else to deal with us bringing patients home on the planes. And it turned into like 54 planes, and it turned into then cargo ships and I was like running this operation and not even focusing on anything going on in my life or my work or I was just like I was in it for months I mean I lost, I lost hair I was you know drinking sips of I was drinking vodka at night like not out socially to meet men like to like try to like go to sleep and get off these chat rooms and it was crazy but if it was like what it feels like to start I don't know i not even a business it was like what it felt like probably to like Launch a rocket like build a rocket ship while you're flying it. It was crazy. I don't know how I did it I genuinely don't I don't like It was it was it was incredible. I've been there so many times I see because you see things and you can't unsee them and then you have to help that It's like it was like roaches coming out of the floor that you're like I have to do that and then I have to do that and so many people helped me and so many people volunteered and like nurses and teachers and people that have no money are the ones that really like what? Give me what you know, and I, I you just delegate and execute, and it's like a really big business. So the good news is that I know how to do it, which is why I was able to go to Guatemala and then go to North Carolina, and everything doesn't have to be me like living there for three months. But I have this skill set, so now and I feel connected to it, also because. So even on our show and with so many people, can you donate to my charity? And I'm doing something for cancer and I'm doing something for Lyme disease and I'm doing something, and you never know where, what to do and who to donate to. And I feel like disaster relief re- affects everybody. We've helped the elderly, babies, you know, people on dialysis, addicts, the Chabad, the Christians. I mean, it's just like, it's just, it was, it's, it's, it's my thing. Like I, I found it, I love it, I can, I can do it.
0: You're really good at it. Oh, thank you. You are. I wanted to talk a little bit about love. There's a really beautiful quote that you shared. I can't remember what publication it was. It was a long time ago, and it really kind of went back, traced back to your first marriage, and which a lot of people don't even know that you were married um, a long time ago. And it ended in divorce, obviously. But you made a comment that was really beautiful and, and I think also very relatable for, for many of us. And it was, you said that you'd wish that you had waited for real love. and. I just wanted to know, do you, like, what does real love mean to you now?
1: Well, it's good that you said now, because before that, I mean, in high school, I had like a real love relationship. Not that I was going to be with him for the rest of my life, but I mean, I think love does take many different shapes, and I do think that both people have to be on the same page to feel like the greater love. Like, you know, and listen, I my best friend in the world, we were talking about this walking on the beach, and her relationship, she loves her husband, but she says we're very solid. Like, she needed to like, check these boxes and do pros and cons. Like, that's not me. Not that I don't need to check the boxes. I think that fun Fundamental differences really are not great in a relationship, no matter how you feel about someone. But real love, to me, is the sum being greater than its parts. When you know, not to be like every cheesy movie, but like you really, a person makes you want to be a better person. Makes you want to be nice to them and love them and take care of them and and vice versa. And just makes you happy and makes you feel you know fulfilled. I mean, real love is not settling. You know, I'm not a settling kind of person. And I I feel like I've just made decisions out of fear versus love many times. Like, and I think we all do that. Like, oh, it's, it's what our parents say we're supposed to be doing. It could be in work or, you know, also like I'm supposed to be doing that. And, you know, or this guy is so great that everybody loves him. And, or my biological clock is ticking or, but he has so much money or, you know, or she or whatever. I just feel like a lot of times people make decisions out of fear versus true love. And I just won't make that mistake again.
0: Thank you for being honest about that. I think a lot of us make decisions out of fear sometimes, but at least we're, hopefully we're aware when we're doing it.
1: Yeah. Just quickly
0: in like 30 seconds or a minute, just tell us like what is your philosophy around like fashion and personal style and identity right now?
1: I think that everything should be fitted. I'd rather have something inexpensive that fits well than something really expensive that doesn't. And I don't like to have what everybody else has. And I don't love overuse of logos and I don't go get the thing that's like full price right now. I don't care, we were talking about this in the car on the way here. I'll buy something on sale that I think is great that I don't even need right now and then three years later it's just like living there and you're like now's the moment for that thing. I'm not overly caught up into like being insecure about what's here now. And you know, you gotta know your own personal style. I don't have a stylist. I know exactly what, I buy everything for myself. I don't like to borrow. It's like, let me borrow a man. And that, I mean, I, no, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna own that man. I don't wanna borrow him. I don't I like, like borrowing the same things as either. I like owning them. I, I want yeah, them to be mine. I spend more money. I was talking to some girl who was like that one, high up at Tom Ford on Saturday, and she was so impressed, she loved that. I'm like, I don't wanna borrow, I just like wanna have it. Yeah. I just wanna use it again. And if, if I want to get rid of it, I'll get what rid what of if it. if I want to alter it? Now I owe you guys, and I've altered your thing. So I'm, I'm very, I have my own personal style. I think being comfortable is, and dressing really for who you are and who you want to be is really important. Um, I think about where we're going. So this is business casual. So this is like sort of a suit, but I want to have a little flair. I think about the, the event. I do. I think about it, like what it means. Like I remember once Robert Verity, the stylist, said to me, we're going to be on The View. That's a show where like you're with your girlfriends. You're dressing... You know, you see people come on in these, like, hot couture outfits. And he said, no, you're, like, hanging out with your girlfriends. But then you're Watch what happens live, boozing it up at night. So you're sort of, like, more in, like, nightclub gear. And it's more of a shoe show. I was like, oh, it's a shoe show. So I think about things like that more, you know? But, yes. But all for work. I'm always in pajamas, which is why I couldn't run for public office. The second I get back to my house, all of this will come off. Immediately. Immediately. Not... And uh, those people that get on an airplane with, like, a belt and everything's perfect. And I'm like, not nah, this girl. Sweats all the way.
0: The next time I interview, I'm definitely going to negotiate for 30 more minutes.
1: I'm going to negotiate for a wardrobe budget. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It was so good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. You, you are coming. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you're inspired after hearing bethany's story for even more unstyled extras check out refinery29 or my instagram at christine barbrick you can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media and of course we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to the unstyled podcast on apple podcasts and rate us while you're there you can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more And make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Bridget Todd, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Kelsey Miller. Our theme music today is by the artist Kauf. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with Misty Copeland. See you then.